When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. the chgo cubs podcast presented by points bet use code chgo when you sign up to get two risk-free bets up to two thousand dollars hello everyone my name is Corey. i am joined as always by brendan and we are coming to you on sunday may 1st it's a new month brendan a new month. It's a new month. Hopefully, a better month, Corey. It's an well. Uh, technically, the Cubs are one and zero in the month of May, so undefeated. In actually, theory, correct. it has been a better month, but it is starting kind of the same way things have been going previously, which is that the Cubs lost another series to the Milwaukee Brewers, dropping two of three. They do pick up a a rather nice uh, win on Sunday, so the mood is uh, a little better, I guess, uh, heading into this podcast. And as all of you start your week here uh, if you're listening to this on Monday morning but yeah Brendan I mean look like it was nice to pick up a W the Cubs now have uh they're undefeated in the games in which Corbin Burns starts for the Brewers so that's nice that's certainly uh something that they can be they can hang their hat on but they got walloped in these first two games so uh the the negatives I think are probably outweighing the positives when you're looking back at this entire weekend yeah, no doubt, especially the way Kyle pitched. We'll get into that. And the way the lineup just didn't put together consistently quality at-bats in a row. It is disappointing. But to come out beating Corbin Burns, and I thought seeing the top of the lineup, despite not getting tons of base hits, the quality of the bats looked better today. 
little bit encouraging. And I think overall, given how they were playing, I didn't have expectations that they would even win this series at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. I think, uh, you know, again, like I think a lot of the conversations that we're going to have throughout the season are going to be you know, pretty easily surrounded by the idea that, you know, of course, like nobody really had the highest of expectations for this group. So we're kind of just taking it day by day and, and seeing what we get. The in a, in a vacuum, I think taking one of three in Milwaukee, beating Burns after you took two of three from them at home, you'd be fine with that. It, you know, again, kind of goes back to some of those games we've talked about a lot, that series, both series with Pittsburgh, maybe that one in Colorado, um, just some of these other games where when you're not winning those, it it does put a little more pressure when you do go and play Milwaukee. Um, the other thing that stands out is, you know, in the last episode, we talked about the amount of games, you know, of course, you had the 21 run explosion against the Pirates, but a lot of these games, the Cubs offense is not scoring a lot of runs, despite uh, some individual players numbers looking better and good and like their profile being different than we've seen in years past this was another series uh you do win the game on sunday with two runs but you you scored four runs all weekend brendan like again very nice to uh beat corbin burns beat the brewers uh, on the road but four runs all weekend is not going to cut work. it, especially when in you, you, you pitched a shutout on Sunday, but you gave up 20 runs in the, in the first two games. <laughs> so though that, that math isn't going to check out very much. No, it's not. I, I think the way the lineup has looked overall, I think one to eight, well, actually one to nine with Nico in the nine spot. Overall, most have put up encouraging at-bats. Frank has not looked good. Yeah. Hermosillo has not looked good in his limited time. Hayward, whatever you think of him, seeing him at bat so many times, a little discouraging given the other possibilities on this roster. Ortega, underperforming expectations. So there's a lot of bad, like extremely bad performances mixed in with some extremely good performances. So for me, it's hard to it's hard to have like a good feel for this offense when you have extremes in both directions. Right, and I think we knew that that was kind of the the possibility. The the way that this worked right. in the kind of best case scenario involved a lot of pieces hitting those higher percentile outcomes and mm-hmm. you know reaching new heights or reclaiming their career, whatever it was. And you know it's a lot to ask, right? And so I think that's what you're seeing with this team. It's it's inconsistent in terms of who's producing and when and you know the overall lineup yeah like you've you've got some stuff that definitely is good and we're going to continue to highlight that because a lot of it is important for the future of this team a lot of it is happening with guys who should be pieces in one way or the other of of teams going forward some of it is you know what you were hoping to have happen is is not happening and uh, other you know like you mentioned guys who are not pieces of the team going forward also not performing so it's uh, a little all over the place, but I'm not going to—a very brief recap today because I don't think—I mean, unless you guys want me to recap all 20 runs the Brewers scored on I do, Friday actually. and Saturday. Yes. Do, you, yes. do you want me to do that, Brendan? You want to sit yeah, here for that? for 15 minutes. I want to hear every right. single Yeah, we're not going to do that, um, okay. but 
run through those, just set the table, go over the pitching lines, um, and then we're going to talk about uh, a couple of, you know, really strong things happening. Marcus Stroman start on Sunday, Alfonso Rivas uh, leading off on Sunday in his continued production. We'll talk about Kyle Hendricks uh, and his not good start, Justin Steele, his not good start. As you mentioned, Brendan Frank Schwindel really struggling. So we, we've got plenty to touch on uh, as you settle in uh, to join Brendan and I here for the next hour. And so let's just run through this real quick. Uh, Friday, it was an 11 to 1 loss. The key numbers here Kyle Hendricks, four and a third, seven hits, six earned runs, two walks, two strikeouts. He gives up three homers in this game, uh, the four and a third, getting him 85 pitches in this one. So that was uh, really not good. Sean Newcomb, uh, an inning and a third, also struggles in this one, gives up three earned runs. Um, the Cubs getting their lone run uh, in this game on a wild pitch. So that about summed up what Friday night was about. Uh, hopefully you guys had something better to do on Friday night. I didn't, so here we are. Uh, <laughs> Saturday, it was a 9-1 to loss for the Cubs. The key numbers in this one, Justin Steele, three innings of work, seven hits, four runs. Two of those are earned, one walk and four strikeouts. So, you know, not not the worst outing, but also not a good one and inefficient in those three innings, uh, 74 pitches. Obviously, with the unearned runs, you know, the defense not necessarily helping him out, Hermosillo and Wisdom with errors, but overall still, uh, you know, kind of some of the same concerns that we've had for Justin in the past. Uh, the Cubs getting their lone run in this one on Ian Gomes' first home run of the season. On Sunday, it was a 2 to nothing win behind the birthday boy. Happy birthday to Marcus Stroman. It's still Sunday as we record this. Seven innings, two hits, no runs, one walk, and five strikeouts on 90 pitches. Probably could have gone even deeper in this game if he were, uh, you know, more stretched out and, and this were deeper into the season. His first W as a Chicago Cub, Patrick Wisdom, homers in this one, and Seiya Suzuki with an RBI double. And that is your game and your series on Sunday. So, Brendan, like, let's just uh, transition, I guess, straight into Marcus Stroman. Uh, this was, you know, pretty much like a, a picture-perfect start for what you signed him for. And I know that the first two games in the series did not go well, but the the context of the team aside, like, you lost two on the road against the Brewers. Um, you turn to a guy like Stroman to avoid getting swept. And especially as we've noted, the offense is not doing a lot, right? One run, one run, two runs. And what you needed from Stroman on Sunday was an outing that was going to make that work, right? And that is exactly what he delivered for you. Yeah, Stroman looked really good. And to go deeper, deeper into the game, uh, was exactly what you wanted to see and what we haven't seen in his first few starts of the season. So his pitch breakdown, if we go and look at what pitch he led with for the first time all season, he threw more sliders than any other one of his pitches. So that was interesting to see. And it made sense if you're tracking the game and watching in real time, you can see the command of the slider was really good. And then second to a slider, he threw tons of sinkers. And David Ross talked about how efficient his sinker and his slider combo was today. So of those two pitches, they made up uh, almost 75% of the 90 pitches that he did throw. 
The splitter he showed only in 10% of his pitches, and then he showcased just a few four seams and a few cutters. So the, the, the name of the game for Stroman that day was the slider and sinker combination. And he did not get that many whiffs with those pitches. He only got uh, three whiffs with his slider and three whiffs with his sinker. So ideally, you want to see more whiffs, but the quality of contact he gave up was was very good in terms of preventing runs. So he, he was on his game today, and the confidence was there, the command was there. And for him, the command in the first few starts hasn't been dialed in to where it's been in years past, so that that was good to see. We, we've been talking about Marcus in terms of anticipating things would normalize, and from my perspective, the reason I, th- I thought that was because his peripherals and all of his pitches were in line. So his slider movement was in line. His release point, both vertical and horizontal, was in line. The velocity was fine. Everything looked normal. Just what did not look normal was his consistency in commanding those pitches. And it was just a little bit off. It wasn't as if he was completely wild in his first few stars. He was just missing his spot very, very close to where Wilson was catching up and and, and a bit him. So this is what you expect from Marcus going forward. I don't think there's really reason to believe he's going to be like as inconsistent as we've seen. I think if you had to like bet and try to expect the future, I think starts like today are kind of what you should expect going forward, Corey. Yeah, this was a, a pleasure to watch. Um, he was efficient. He gave the Cubs length. Uh, he got nine ground balls in this one, which is, you know, his bread and butter. Um, and like I said, you know, it's it's narrative driven, right? Which is not generally how you and I operate, Brendan. But like, y- y- you sign a guy like this to be a stopper, right? You, you got killed all weekend in those first two games, like kind of embarrassed um, in the way that you played. And coming into this series, we really hadn't seen the Cubs get beaten like that. Um, you know, they're like that that rainout game against Tampa, you know, they that, that was a, a higher scoring game for them. But like generally, they've been, even in the losses, they've been like mostly competitive losses, right? Not all of them, but most of them. Yeah, and of them. Friday and Saturday were not that. That was kind of like a kick in the no. teeth, right, from the Brewers. Um, you know, kind of like Milwaukee smelling blood in the water, like you know, um, and and sticking it to him. And that's why you bring in a guy like Stroman to to kind of calm everything down, reverse the the way things are going, and give you that start that basically says, like, I don't care what this offense is doing, I don't care what's going on around me, I'm gonna go out and you know basically single handedly win this game. Like we're winning this game because I'm pitching, and that's what you mm-hmm. needed. Um, you need more of it mm-hmm. from this team. You'd like to be getting it from Kyle more often than he's been giving it as well. But this was a, a really, really good start for Stroman. And, you know, not to to go too much to the weather and, and things like that, but I, you know, I do think it's nice to see him finally pitch in like some nicer oh, yeah. conditions, like things are calmed down a little I, bit. I do think that matters though, not to be, like you said, like, oh, not to put too much on it, but I, I, I personally put a lot yeah. on it. It's cold out yeah. there. And in Colorado, your pitches don't move as expected. So you do put stock into that. Uh, and then one other thing with Marcus, not to cut you off there, but what's interesting with him is his sinker location, Corey. Most of his sinkers are up in the zone. Uh, we talked about this for two years now. And you know, I've talked about this a lot with curiosity You've of talked why about they do this. elevated sinkers before? I, I I know, can you believe oh, that? I don't I don't uh, think I've heard that. I, I know. So with Marcus, even today, 
all but three of his sneakers were thrown towards the bottom of the zone. Or sorry, the other way around. All but three were uh, were thrown towards the top of the zone. And his overall uh, heat map this year, if you go to Baseball Savant, the red heat is up in the zone. So we'll see if that continues going forward. Now, it could just be because he's not commanding those pitches and he's leaking and misguiding his pitches up in the zone. That could be a case too. But just something to monitor going forward and maybe... As the splitter starts to get more comfort, we're going to see that splitter become more effective due to the fact that that sinker being thrown up in the zone might cause some type of uh, you know tunneling effect that I think that might play up. You see Kevin Gossman do that all the time. Kevin Gossman hammers fastballs up in the zone. He has the, the best splitter of all time, which he throws down in the zone. So I'm curious to see if his splitter over the next few starts gets more comfort and we start seeing more whiffs as a result. Yeah, this was, I mean, again, plain and simple. This was a really good start from Marcus. Pleasure to watch him work. And uh, yeah, he, you know, he's also one of those guys where he's he's pretty open about, um, you know, how he works and the things he's trying to work on. And it's it's nice to see that even after some inconsistent starts to begin his time here, like you can obviously see the thought process, trust, trust the work that's going into it. And obviously on a day like Sunday, you see those results pay off and, and you know, finally get yeah. that line in the box score that, that we've been waiting for. Um, I don't know how much we'll end up talking about the, the bullpen today, but I, I do want to highlight, you know, Rowan Wick and David Robertson behind Marcus Stroman today. Really good. Um, you know, this is kind of one of those things we talked about um, maybe last time uh, with Cody a little bit and, you know, kind of how we can see the roadmap in using some of these guys in shorter spurts, but you need these longer starts to kind of make all of that work, right? And this was that start, right? You you have your starter go seven, you go to two of your, let's call it three or four top bullpen guys, and that's it. Three guys do the work on, on a Sunday, everybody else gets the day off, and it makes things a lot easier. You know, if you go into the game on Tuesday with the White Sox and get a shorter start, Keegan will be nice and rested and available, Scott Efros, et cetera. Like, those guys are available and ready, and you can piece to get a, a game together if you mm-hmm. have to, and that's made a lot easier when you have a day like Sunday where it's like, we're going to use our, we're going to use three of our big guns, easy, nothing to it. Rowan Wick looks good. He did walk somebody today, but didn't give up uh, any runs. And Velo's high. Yeah, throw ninety six. Yeah, I know. I I trust me when I when I see Rowan Wick is in the mid or upper nineties on the gun. It's about a thirty second delay until I get a text message from Brendan. Um, something to the effect of like, you seeing this gun? Are you seeing Wick? Um, same thing if he were throwing 93. So to be fair, you were the last one to say or mention his velocity. It was not because me, I know it's. I know your sanity is on the line. And so when I see 96, I'm like, oh, you know, Brendan will find life worth living for another few days if I I send him this text message. I will. Only for a little bit. Yeah. And man, like we've talked about it before, dude, but David Robertson, three strikeouts in an inning and a third. Like talk about the the Cubs front office identifying a— a veteran to bring in and just nailing this man. I mean, you know, we're only a month into the season, but he's he has this, you know, pedigree. He's been a, a solid closer and certainly a back end of the bullpen reliever before, you know, predominantly successful in New York uh, for a lot of those years. But man, like his fifth save, he has not given up a run, three strikeouts on Sunday. Like, 
if this team ends up in a spot where they're competitive, great. Like, he's going to be a huge part of that. And, you know, if we're looking at another trade deadline sell-off, like, this is the type of asset that you're really excited about because he's just been so good, man. Oh, my gosh. He's been insanely good. And his overall movement on these pitches this year, Corey, phenomenal stuff. Like, I don't know what they're doing with his cutter or with his slider, but he's getting more uh, vertical break on those pitches than at any point in his career, even when he was with uh, Tampa Bay in 2021 so that's interesting to see uh but overall i i I mean i'm surprised when whenever you get a reliever who's that who's that old uh you kind of anticipate the stuff won't be there and granted you know compared to his earlier days you know he may not be able to max out as often as he used to but in this case even the velo has been fine at 92 93 94 maybe 95 if he's really maxing out and he's throwing exclusively breaking pitches all he throws Corey, is a slider and a cutter and a curveball and he throws that cutter and that slider 75 percent of the time maybe in some cases in some outings almost every pitch so that's that's nil he didn't do that with the Phillies, he didn't do that with the Yankees. He had a more diverse repertoire with those two teams, but with the Cubs, Tommy Hadovy clearly has made it an, uh, an emphasis to only throw gutters and sliders, and it's worked out so far. Yeah, so we might as well just uh, stay, you know, one more positive in the bullpen, as I mentioned, Scott Efros, before we head into our first break here, and then we'll come back talking about, I think, Alfonso Rivas to start. Um you know, this is another one. We talked about this the other day, but he he has another inning of work in this series against the Brewers. Scott Efros does one inning on Saturday, a strikeout, no walks, no hits, no runs. His season numbers, uh, 10 innings of work across 10 games, 12 strikeouts, a whip that is uh, 0.80, an ERA that is 1.80, like this is this is really nice man this is a you know a 15th round draft pick for the cubs back in 2015 yep. and through a month of of baseball here he's been uh clearly one of the the key contributors in this bullpen we've heard about Efros for a few years now in the context of him drastically changing that arm angle in the types of pitches he uses so to see it translate to actual mlb success it's awesome to see in the early going here his chase rate is better the 95% of pitchers, Corey. That's absurd. And if you look at some of the other expected numbers, granted, small sample size, but he's in the top fifth percentile of all of baseball and, and almost basically like everything at this point. And so for me, when you map the run prevention with what you see visually in that arm angle and that pitch mix, he throws basically sinker, sliders, four seams. Every now and then throws a change up in 10% of his pitches, but he's, he's leading principally with that slider most of the time. I don't see how Efros won't be a significant contributor to this team unless something crazy happens. So that that's that's awesome to see. And it goes back and pins so much value on this pitching infrastructure and why going into the year, I, you share the same sentiment. I know Luke and Cody as well. I had no concerns about the bullpen because you just assume that these types of instances will occur where you can identify different pitch types or different pitchers or maybe areas to change these guys and get the most out of them and so far you're seeing that with with Efros you're seeing that with uh with Robertson it's it's awesome and fun to see Corey okay break here from our sponsor points bets 
the best way to support CHGO is to download the PointsBet app and use CHGO when you sign up. If you make a $50 or more first-time deposit, you will receive a free CHGO membership, which unlocks all of our web content, and you'll even get a free shirt of your choice from the CHGO locker. If you have any questions, email pointsbet at allchgo.com, and we will help you out. Remember that PointsBet is your home for live in-game same betting. They even have a new exclusive feature, live NBA same game parlay. For the first time ever, build the perfect live same game parlay only with PointsBet. You can even boost this live same game parlay. And now online signup is available in Illinois. You can actually download the PointsBet app right now and register your account from start to finish all from your phone. Signing up with the fastest sportsbook is now easier than ever, so you can start living your bet life in seconds. Use code CHGO to get two risk-free bets up to $2,000. So what are you waiting for? Once the game starts, don't just bet. Live your bet life with points bet. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. And don't forget to support everything going on at CHGO, podcasts and live shows on every team every day post-game shows, and premium written content for all members at allchgo.com. You get a free shirt when you become a member, and you get access to the members-only Discord. I know our wonderful Bears team had a lot of live coverage for the entirety of the draft this weekend. I think there was thousands and thousands of folks watching uh, with them live on YouTube. Um, I know I think we're going to have some stuff this week uh, crossing over with the uh, Sean and Herb and Vinny, uh, the White Sox crew, as the Cubs and White Sox play for the first time this week. So uh, check out everything going on at CHGO. Sign up to become a member uh, and get all the great content from our guy Ryan Herrera at allchgo.com. So, Brendan, let's get into uh, the, you know, continuing on some of the positives, right? Like, the, it, it's an easy podcast, uh, you know, to come on and, and be pissed off about the way those first two games went but I I think like generally what we're going to try to do is continue to hone in on on some of the individual stuff that matters right and we'll talk about some of the bad stuff in a second here um that went on this weekend but like yeah like those first two games were really bad but like you know we're gonna try to hone in on on some of the stuff that's impacting the future and like stuff that's good underneath the hood because I think it's a little obvious to be pissed off about those first two games, but it's not really going to get us anywhere, right? It might be a long summer here, guys, so uh, we're going to have to dial in on, on on certain stuff. And and one of those things is Alfonso Rivas, and he gets two starts in this series. Uh, on Friday, he starts at first base and hits in the six hole, I believe. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yes. Uh, I, Good job counting. Great audio um, listening to me count yeah. through the lineup. Um, well, I always, I, I'm like, oh, can you do math on it? Yeah. Because it's been a problem. Well, there's a, past. you know, there's a pinch hitter, you know, so like the, it's staggered. I just, yeah. I just want to make sure. Um, I know. No. Yeah. Starts on Friday at first base, hits sixth, and then starts on Sunday and hits leadoff, which I know uh, you liked, Brendan, and I know uh, our it. friend Evan Altman from CubsInsider.com has been a big proponent of Alfonso Rivas uh, getting some opportunities at leadoff. He's got the speed. He takes walks. Obviously, makes a good amount of contact. So uh, that was cool to see David Ross put that in play there. But you know, this is another one where it's you know he's only got 25 plate appearances on the season. Uh, but his his first MLB action was last last year with the Cubs in those 49 um, 
plate appearances that he had. And in those 49 plate appearances last year, he did put up a 119 WRC+. Uh, And then so far this year, uh, a 429 average, 520 on base, 619 slug, which is good for a 493 weighted on base average and a 224 WRC+. So obviously not a sustainable number, but uh, well, well, well above league average in terms of the production that he's provided you in those 25 plate appearances. He's also sporting a 16% walk rate and a 20% Mm -hmm. K rate to go along with those numbers. Good defense. We saw him make, you know, an exceptional play in that Atlanta series, Brendan. Um, And, you know, certainly intriguing as Frank has struggled. And we can talk about that at the same time, or we can talk about Frank later. But interesting to see Alfonso get two starts this weekend at first base um, and also get the opportunity to lead off. And I think in the game on, I think it was Sunday, you know, Ross also left him in there um, when the Brewers changed pitchers. So he got an opportunity to, you know, face both handedness, uh, you know, that the Brewers were throwing out there. So clearly, like, they're they're giving him a shot and, you know, they're rewarding him for it. And part of the reason that I think we hone in on him specifically is the defense that he provides at first base. And to reiterate once again, uh, 25 years old, Brennan. 25 years old, unlike Frank, who's, of course, approaching his uh, low 30s. This is a tough one because we knew with Frank the September he had last year sporting that sub-11% strikeout rate with a WOBA in the top five leaderboard of, of in the entire Major League Baseball, not just the NL, was fascinating. And so it sucks to see Frank do this bad. And then at the same time, just in this limited sample, you see Rivas do well and you see the type of a bass he puts up. So to your point about the walk rate being good, the chase rate is exceptional. So the outside his own swing rate currently going into Sunday was 15%. That would be among the best in Major League Baseball if it were to continue. And then in his small sample last year with the Cubs, his chase rate, the outside the zone swing rate was 22%. So we know he has this underlying ability to not swing at bad pitches, as does Seiya Suzuki. And like Seiya, and like other players in the past who have good discipline, thinking of like Dexter Fowler and Ben Zobrist, Alfonso makes a ton of contact. So his contact rate this year is 85%. And that matches the low strikeout rate we've seen from Alfonso in, in Iowa of last year. In Iowa of last year, he only had a strikeout rate of 20% and a walk rate of 15% in 237 plate appearances. So you're thinking with him, because he's younger, he's 25, and because he has the this underlying ability to make a lot of contact while also not swinging at, at bad pitches, he seems like the prototypical leadoff guy. And there's been a lot of ire with the fact that Rafael Ortega continues to get leadoff appearances. And I understand the ire from a fan's perspective. It's it's a hard situation for Ross to handle because in one sense, you want to give these guys opportunities to adjust with a shortened spring training, especially coming off of a, a quality second half with the Cubs last year. And with Ortega, 
He shares the same type of discipline that Rivas has. With Ortega, he has a chase rate of 17%. So basically within the same tier as Alfonso Rivas. And he also makes a lot of contact. Within the same tier as Rivas is 85%, Ortega has an 82% contact rate. So they're very similar in that respect. So I understand why Ross may have had a little bit of a longer leash with Ortega, even though it upset a lot of people. I understand the process. I'm not saying I agree with it, but I understand why Ross is thinking like that. But at this point in time, if you had to pick between the two, Ortega and Rivas, you you have to default to the age effect and to the eye effect of what you're seeing right now. And, and Rivas is putting up really good at-bats. And you can see the athleticism like on stage, and you see the defense at first base. And while Frank has improved defensively, it appears, in the first going here, this is going to be a difficult conversation to have because I don't know the right way to go about it. Uh, selfishly, I want to see Frank do do well and get more at-bats, but at the same time, I understand that weighted on base average of 260 right now is not going to cut it. The sample size, while somewhat small, is not small in terms of underlying plate discipline numbers, and Frank is swinging at tons of pitches outside the zone, contact rate, not going to cut it if you're not going to hit for that much power. So it's it's a little concerning from Frank's point of view. I'm not going to lie there. And I don't really know what to do in this case. I think where I stand now, Corey, is I'd like to see Alfonso get the majority of at-bats against right-handed pitching, like every single day. And is that going to be in the first base spot in left field? Is it going to mean that Frank goes to DH more? Or will it mean that Frank has to sit on the bench more? I'm not entirely sure. Uh, It's a a difficult, tough situation. Well, and, you know, another thing with Rivas, too, is he's also got a little bit of speed to him uh, that you saw in the game on Sunday, you know, beats out out a hit and then scores on the, say, a double down the left field line from first base. And, like, you can, you know, he's he's zipping around there. Like, he's got a little bit of speed to him. Um, And... So that's, you know, that's another factor. Like, yeah, so uh, this is a good point. I I wanted to read um, a a sentiment that I saw from Brett over at Bleacher Nation um, and a conversation that he kind of started on Twitter because I think it plays into the conversation we're having about Frank, about Ortega, about Hayward, about Hermosillo, about a lot of these guys, right? And, you know, basically what what Brett said is, I, I always think it's a good idea for teams like the 2022 Cubs to give certain guys a decent look on the small chance that they emerge as useful to medium-term contributors. Uh, realistically, there's not much to lose. Uh, and, you know, a whatever chance of finding a useful player is worth it. That's why we've been advocating for seeing a lot of these guys, right? Uh, but then he goes on to say, and this is kind of what we're talking about, that said, once we get into May and June, even if the sample size uh, remains small, you have to start transitioning those guys into other guys who deserve a look. You you can't have an infinite amount of time or plate appearances or innings for everything and everyone you want to evaluate. And I think that uh, I wanted to read that because obviously I, I want to give Brett credit for sort of putting words to you know exactly what we're talking about. But I think that is the biggest challenge for David Ross and Jed Hoyer and this front office and this team as a whole. Because, you know, as frustrating as this stretch of baseball has been, right, the team is 9-13. and 13. It's May 1st. So fans or people or whatever can write the team off and, you know, think 
kind of what they did coming into the season. Like, this isn't going to be a successful season. This team doesn't look that good, blah, blah, blah. But the the team itself is not going to do that, right? And I don't even necessarily mm-hmm. mean the front office. The front office might be chomping at the bit to make more trades, right, for all we know. But the team itself, the players on the team, the, the 28 players are tomorrow as the rosters shrink down a little bit, 26 players, they're trying to win every day. David Ross is trying to win every day. Um, and it's a tough balance, man, between giving guys a shot, deferring to past performances. You know, that's that's why we continue to see Ortega. He has not played well this year, but he was really good for you last year as a leadoff man yeah. in center field and hitting against right-handed pitching. And you can see that Ross wants to get back to that. And and when, you know, we've talked about someone like Hermosillo too and, and wanting to see him get a, a real opportunity. And I wouldn't write off Hermosillo forever you know, he's 26 years old. I, he Maybe he can make adjustments, whatever. It's a difficult spot that he's in, but he's been terrible, Brendan, in the time that he's been allotted. And it's a, it's a tough task for him to perform in that. But I, you know, at the same time, like, he gets the start on Saturday. He strikes out three times. He makes another error. Like, they're, they're not, you're not going to keep getting those chances, you know, whether it's a small sample or a, a tough situation to be put in or not. You can't expect Ross to just be like, well, let's keep trying this, right? And and I think that's kind of what Brett is is getting at. And and Frank, I think, also falls into that category. He was unbelievable for you in the second half last year. Frank Schwindel was basically the only reason to watch the Chicago Cubs in the second half of last year, and he provided a lot of fun moments. Leaving Sunday's game, however, he's hitting 211 with a 579 OPS, right? He's not the better defensive option at first base. Um, and it just, it's been a struggle for him. I mean, right now he's been a sub replacement level player. Like you and I are, we, we've got a history of like railing on, right? Like sub replacement level players getting playing time. And I mean, who are you talking about? It's, I'm not going to say, um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a tough spot for David Ross. And I, and I think that, you know, just bringing it back to Brett's point and, and I'll turn it over to you here, Brendan, like you do have to some of these guys have to make the most of the opportunities, uh, whether they're few and far between, whether it's a hard task, whether it's inconsistent playing time, things like that. If you're not, you know, taking those opportunities, eventually the team doesn't have a choice but to give it to somebody else, right? To see what they have or defer to someone who you maybe believe will be a little more productive even in the short term, right? And that's kind of where this team is, where like a certain number of these guys, they're going to be playing, they're going to get the look, it, you know, no matter what, right? But some of them, you're going to have to transition out. And I think Alfonso Rivas right now, whether he's playing first base, whether he's DHing, whether you try him in the corner outfield, like he's putting up those numbers. He's taking that opportunity to the point where it's like, you've got to keep playing this guy to see if there is something there in a 25-year-old who's only getting his second experience at the major league level because he's giving you those results right now. And you have to defer to that. And that might mean for other people that your opportunity might be done. This is a difficult, difficult conversation because as... As I've been a fan for for so many years, there's the statistical argument, then there's the argument of those who watch every pitch. And 
often you get this dichotomy between those two types of fans where you have the number side be like, hey, it's been 60 plate appearances. This is the exact threshold at which stabilization occurs. And now we know for certain that this particular player sucks and he's going to continue to suck because this is what the math says. And it's the other side of the fans who are saying, well, you don't really know what you're talking about. You're not watching these games. It may be better going forward. And it's it's hard to convince both both fam in in my experience just listening now i don't know the solution to this it's it's hard because you do have some of these thresholds being approached but these thresholds that are being approached are derived from different baseball environments they're sums of dozens hundreds of players it's not as relevant to the exact player himself and the features that he presents so when we talk about Frank, or we talk about Ortega, we talk about other players in the future, or as we've talked about in the past, it's hard to apply just these these very strict thresholds of what is true and what is not true, because that's that's not exactly what's going on. There's a spectrum of probabilities going on here. So with Frank, you've watched a lot of these games, all, all these at-bats, especially you being a season ticket holder at Wrigley. I've watched almost every play appearance by Frank. Corey, he does not look right. good, man. And, like, I don't need the stability numbers to match my eye test, although it does provide a point of evidence. It's, it's obvious. He does not look good. And he has not looked good, not due to flukiness nor randomness. And I'm not really concerned about the stabilization features. I'm concerned about the changes he needs to make to combat that. Because if this continues, it's obvious. He will not be a productive major leaguer. So now the question becomes, okay, throw away the number style. Let's go back to the actual what needs to be changed. And with Frank, I don't think they know the answer with that. The pitch mix is not much different. He is facing more fastballs up in the zone, as is basically every hitter in the league. And he's also maybe facing more inside breaking pitches, but not to the point where it looks so dramatic. Uh, so I don't know really the issues going on here. It's tough. It's honestly tough to say. But because of that, there's also a side of me that wants to see him get the chance to adjust while also still wanting to see Rivas get playing time. And I don't know the solution to that, but to Brett's tweet and his point, you don't have the luxury of making that decision when you have more than just one Frank Schwedell on this team. You have so many players who you need to get consistent looks at. So that means you have to put Frank's bat on the bench in order to see Rivas more, then you have to do that at this point. And, you know... Like, even if you bench Hayward, it's not going to change that much in terms of what you get out of Rivas and Frank. You have to make a decision right now based on those two players and those two players alone. Yeah, it's it it's a tough spot, you know, because, again, like, you, you do want to give Frank the opportunity to adjust and, and see if he can replicate some of the results that you saw last year. But, yeah, I think that's that's kind of the point that Brett's making. It's It's not an infinite amount of time that you have to figure this stuff out. And and they're going to have to weigh for several of these situations. Like, do we, how much time do we give to a guy who's 30 plus years old? Um, how much time do we give to a guy that's younger, but not performing? You know, someone like in Hermosillo's case, like he, he looks like a mess out there, right? And like, I've advocated yeah. for giving him a shot, but he's really not taking it. And, you know, that has to be factored in. The team is not just going to sit around and wait for you to have things click, 
right? You've got too many positions where you're you're trying to figure this stuff out. And like you look around the diamond, right? Like Ian Happ, I think, came in as one of those guys where you were kind of like, okay, let's see how he looks. That'll maybe determine is he hitting lefty and righty or just lefty, whatever. And he's been doing both. So he's playing, right? You got to see what you have there too. And he's succeeding. So you're leaving that alone. Say a Suzuki's obviously going to be out there the majority of the time in right field. Um, and Patrick Wisdom is one of those guys who you came into the year wanting to get a deeper look at, and he's performing well, right? Is he performing great? Like, is he the third baseman on the next great Cubs team? Probably not, but he's got an 822 OPS. He hit another uh, home run on Sunday, the game-winning run on Sunday, and at the very minimum, right, Brendan, like, he's clearly, like, an interesting bat and glove to keep around, and as long as he's putting up those numbers on offense, unlike, you know, how he started this season, you're going to try to keep playing him and f- continuing to figure out what you yeah. have, well, right? Well, that's the, that's the argument that might be made by certain fans, where you have Patrick, who looked awful in the first week and a half of the season, and now he's looked a lot better. He's hitting home runs off Cy Young Ward winners, and you can use that type of example to apply to Ortega, to apply to Frank as reason to keep sure. him in the lineup, right? And uh, that... That's a difficult, difficult conversation right. and argument. As we were watching Patrick, I may have mentioned this to you, but Patrick got some unfortunate, uh, some misfortune in that first series, especially against Milwaukee. He had one fly ball that would have gone like 440 feet, but it was a, it was, a, it was an out uh, to center field at Wrigley. And the uh, bats with Patrick, there was clearly intentional dramatic changes being made. Whereas when we look at like Ortega, we look at Frank, not many changes have been made. So they're like bringing over the same type of skill set and approach from 2021, whereas Patrick changed his approach. So for me, it's like, all right, with Patrick, I'm going to give him a little bit longer leash because he is making these changes and I want to see them pan out. But now with Frank and Ortega, they have to find out what changes to make. Does that make sense? Like they're already, they're kind of behind the mm-hmm. process where Patrick already went through that adjustment phase and now is having some success as a result. So this is a difficult conversation to have because they're very they're very different in terms of what needs to change to be successful. And Patrick may be on the other side of that right now. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I mean, look, ultimately, um, I think... This season, I think Luke put it really well um, on, I think it was Monday's episode of the podcast, where he, you know, posed the question, like, how many solutions, how many answers would you need to find across the entire team, lineup, bullpen, starters, for this season to have not been a waste of time? If it, if it doesn't go well, right, if they don't make the playoffs, like they're not competitive, how many answers would you have to find? And... I, I don't have a, a set number on that, but I, I liked that kind of framing because, again, like that's a huge portion of what they need to do in this season. Right. So however they want to go about this, my position is going to be deferring to the guys who might, might, even if it's the smallest percentage, be players, role players, platoon players, starters, whatever it may be, going forward next year, two years from now, supplementing Brennan Davis in a few years, right? Like I would defer to those players and it's a little easier because right now, you know, uh, three of the guys who are over 30 years old, Frank, Jason Hayward, and Rafael Ortega 
all have sub 700 OPSs. Two of them have sub 600 OPSs. And you don't have to never play any of them. You don't have to give up on all of them collectively. But this conversation would be a lot more difficult, Brendan, if the older guys were performing better. And then it was on Mm -hmm. David Ross to say, well, I'm trying to win games. Like, that's my job. So these young guys don't get a shot, right? But like when you have Rivas performing like this, he's 25 years old, you got to figure out a way to to get him in there. Um, And we'll see who else they call up and how else they manage that. But yeah, it's it's a tough task for David Ross uh, in his third year as a manager and, you know, Jed Hoyer going into, you know, continuing the beginning of his career kind of being fully in charge there's a lot to a lot to balance the daily competitiveness of the team the development of these guys their ability to make adjustments it's it's not an easy task but I think the one conclusion that we both can agree on is one way or the other you've got to continue to get Alfonso in there and see if the stuff that he's showing you is legit yeah. Okay. Another break here from our sponsor, PointsBet. If you enjoy CHGO, one way to help us continue to grow is to download the PointsBet app and use code CHGO when you sign up. Not only are you going to get two risk-free bets up to $2,000, but if you make a $50 or more first-time deposit, you'll receive a free CHGO membership, which unlocks all of our web content, and you'll even get a free shirt of your choice from the CHGO Locker. If you have any questions, email pointsbet at allchgo.com, and we will help you out. And in case you missed it earlier, online sign-up is available in Illinois. You can actually download the PointsBet app right now and register your account from start to finish all from your phone. You'll be signing up with the fastest sports book, easier than ever, so you can start living your bet life in seconds. So what are you waiting for once the game starts? Don't just bet. Live your bet life with PointsBet. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. All right, Brendan, let's get into uh, some of the not-so-good. Well, Kyle. I guess we've talked about some of the not-so-good already. Um, But, yeah, yeah, look, like— Kyle, Kyle, A lot of people are waiting for you to talk about Kyle Hendricks. This was not a good outing. Uh, Obviously, in in stark contrast to his opening day outing against the Brewers, which went quite well, uh, this did not. Four and a third, seven hits, six runs, two walks, two strikeouts, and three home runs allowed— uh, including one to the corpse of Christian Yelich, which is bad yeah. in the year 2022. Oh, so uh, what do you got for me, Brendan? Uh, um, here's, the, here's the problem with Kyle, is that he is among a group of pitchers who don't succeed in, in Major League Baseball. So it's hard to project his future when the number of pitchers like him, it, it's, it's very small. It's so, basically him. It's basically yeah. him. So it's hard to say like, oh, Kyle is screwed because, you know, past pitchers like him have, have also gone through this. It's basically him. So you can only look at what Kyle is doing now versus what he's done in the past. And what he's doing now is still throwing the same type of pitch repertoire. So he throws predominantly sinkers, four seams, change ups, sprinkles in a few curves every now and then as a show me pitch, although he's been using that pitch more often in recent years to actually get whiffs. So that's the change he's decided to make, and he's been throwing more uh, elevated fastballs over the past two and a half seasons now. So that's what he's been doing to adapt, and it's worked. During that stretch, though, when he was at his best, and you can point to even 2020 during the the COVID season when he was probably his most effective, if not the most effective since 2016, he had 
precise command. I mean, that command was just off the charts. In that 2020 small season, his walk per nine rate was under one batter per game. That is an absurd number. And then last year, his walk per nine was 2.2 batters per game. Now it's four batters per game. And so this season, his success or lack thereof is entirely dependent on his ability to command pitches, and he's not doing that. Now, we've had tidbits from Kyle to the media saying that he's at his best when he's able to locate that down in a way sinker, and that allows everything else to play off of it. It's actually very reminiscent of what Jake Arrieta said last year, which kind of makes me like, ugh, kind of like, you know, triggers me a little bit. But with, with Kyle... I think you have to believe him, and that's where the the problem is, is he's not locating that down in a way sinker and using that location as a means to then elevate the pitch, change the eye uh, angle of these batters, and then use his changeup to get those whiffs, and he's he's not doing that successfully. His command has not been good. So the question I have is... To what degree does age change the command of pitchers who don't throw fast? And we can answer that question. It's going to take a lot of work to kind of figure that out and parse through it. But if there's an age-related decline for Kyle's command that is predictive based on pitchers in years past, then we need to know that. And I don't really know that right now. Uh, what gives me confidence is that he is getting more whiffs on the changeup. He's had multiple starts this year with double-digit whiffs on the changeup. He did not have that last year. That should give you confidence. It gives me confidence. But unlike last year, that fastball command is really bad right now. And I don't know the reason for that. Only Kyle knows. Only Tommy Hadovy knows. Moskos, you know, uh, everyone in that pitching infrastructure. So I don't know where to go with this, Corey. Like, I, again, like, based on what we know and based on what he's been doing this year, I still default that he's probably going to be okay. Now, is he going to be that ace-level pitcher with that sub-2 ERA or close to in 2016? That's a different environment, man. Like To expect that Kyle can do what he did in 2016 and 2017 with different baseballs and different philosophies, that's a completely different environment. But to expect that Kyle can be like a 3.3 to 3.5 ERA guy, FIP guy, I do think that's well within the realm of possibility. So that's where I'm kind of angling my opinion at and I think there is a, a decent degree of confidence he can figure that out. But there's a lot of uncertainties. And as I'm thinking about this and as we think about this, we do have to consider that there's not many pitchers like Kyle in the years past who have done this. And so I don't know if that's going to give you confidence or not, but you do have to consider that. Yeah, I mean, you know, his quotes after the game um, on Friday kind of speak to a lot of what you're talking about. He said, quote, when I'm doing the right things, the things I've been working on, it's right. I see angle. I see bad swings. I'm off the end of the bat. But when I'm not right, it's just the inconsistency that's bothering me right now. And I think that, you know, goes along with what we've seen, you know, just watching things on, on TV or in the stands. Like, he's clearly had those outings where stuff is working and hitters are off balance and he's changing speeds and eye angles uh, like vintage Kyle Hendricks, right? Um, And then there's, you know, these outings where they don't go well. You know, you look at uh, the location of some of these home run balls um, from the start on Friday, like, you know, they're not they're they're not awful pitches over the you know the middle of the plate but they're up you know they're they're not located properly to those hitters and they're being punished as a result um so yeah man like i i always it be- sucks, yeah I, I always believe in Kyle um you know because i 
I trust the process. You know, I know how he's going about things, and I know that, you know, what he's trying to do in, in terms of his execution. Um, it's something I've talked about before. Like, the unfortunate reality of it is that this team is built. They need him to be better than this. You know, and like obviously, you know, he's got a five and a half ERA. Like that's not some revelation that I'm offering up to you, but <laughs> it it goes along with what we saw from Stroman on Sunday, and he's been inconsistent as well. Um, you know, so he's working that too. Like you know, his ERA is not much lower than Kyle's at the moment for the whole season. But like for this to work, for this group to work, like Kyle just has to be better than this. And I, I, I believe in him. I understand where the struggles are coming from. Um, it's just kind of the unfortunate burden that's been placed on him that the team really can't afford too many of those starts. And at least to start this season, it's been too much from him. So I, like, I trust him to figure it out. I think by the end of the year, the numbers will look better, and there's going to be a lot more starts like that first one against Milwaukee where hitters are off balance and things like that. But, yeah, like the team just needs better, like whether that's fair to ask of him, like you said, like with his age and where he is in his career and how the game has changed, I I don't know, but that's (laughs) – I didn't build the team, so um, that's that's really just how it is. But yeah, I mean, look, like straight up, like obviously a frustrating outing to watch, you know, um, and a lot of frustrating pitching from the Cubs this weekend. Um, do you want to? Do you have anything on on Justin Steele, who also did not fare uh, very well there on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I want it. There's so much to talk about. Only two runs, these. you know, but like obviously yeah. the overall line is not great. Yeah, I mean, I listen. We're we're approaching the end of this episode and i can spend like 30 minutes on steel and all this so i think just like one small tidbit and i want to just circle back to kyle before we move on to steel just for like a brief minute or two but kyle his whiff rate this year is is like it's 28 percent. so it, it's that's the highest in his career so far so i do want to give credit where credit's due and the fact that he is getting whiffs right so taking another step back talking to different uh, data scientists who actually work for teams uh, who are very well respected in this community. People don't know what makes change-ups good. Like people, these data scientists, quote-unquote data scientists, they're trying to figure out the best predictive measures for change-ups. And that has, that pitch type has the most error of any pitch type in predicting this value. So even though you see different people talk about, oh, this is what makes a change-up good and whatever, the degree of error within those models is substantially large. So it makes it even harder to figure out and project Kyle in this case. I just want to like make that like a point of emphasis. So it's hard to even say Kyle's screwed going in the future versus saying Kyle is going to be great going in the future it's, it's hard to dial in and have a good level of confidence in what he can do. But it's just based on what we've seen so far with the whiffs and the stuff that's not declining that I think that kind of makes me and, and I think maybe you, Corey, kind of trend that towards the fact that he is going to be a valuable pitcher. I, I genuinely believe that. Now for uh, Justin Steele, just again, we'll get into it maybe next episode once he pitches again, but he... He has two pitches. That's it. He has a four seam and uh, and a slider, and those two pitches aren't commanded that well consistently. So, does that mean he's better off as a back end of the rotation starter in a, in a swing type role like Keegan Thompson, or maybe just as a max guy out of the bullpen? 
maybe like honestly probably because that's what those types of pitchers typically show is two pitches uh the hope was with Steele that he would develop that sinker develop that change up make the curveball more of a priority but in the early goings here Corey it's not happening this straight up like he's not doing it like the sinker is not there the changeup's not there the curveball is not there this the slider has been good in a few starts the fastball has, has been good in a few starts but the bulk sum it's not there like this is not going to work with Justin Steele if this continues to happen but the idea is as the season goes along he does have the opportunities to throw more of those sinkers or change-ups to, to refine that curveball uh to to own in on some mechanical things to make that command better that's the hope but as we've seen it right now Corey this will not work it's not going to work for Justin yeah Steele. and you know again that that goes back to the conversation we were having about you know guys performing and how many opportunities Opportunities they get, where they get those opportunities, etc. Um, you know, where yeah, Alec Mills is still behind, Wade Miley's still behind, Albert Alzali is probably, you know, a month or two away still. So maybe that pressure isn't knocking on the door right now from those guys. Maybe it is from someone like Keegan Thompson. We're not really sure what they think about that. Um, yeah. We've expressed our opinion on making that switch. But, um, you know, it's again, it's just. But even, but even then, like with Keegan, it's. <sighs> Like him and Steele are the same pitcher. Well, and I, I'm, I'm just saying that, you know, you want to give Justin the opportunity to see if he can play as a starter and things like that. But ultimately, like, uh, you know, and again, his defense wasn't good behind him on Saturday. So that's worth noting. But uh, y- you can't you can't have three or four inning starts all the time no. you know that uh, no matter how much you want to see from him and uh find out what you have there and see if he can turn into a starter like you've you've got to start getting better results because the team just can't cover that many innings all the time um it's it's just it it puts them in too tough a spot with the bullpen and and yeah. stuff like that even as good as the bullpen has been on the whole so yeah it's it's, it's something to keep monitoring um you know, uh, we, we know the attitude that Steele has, the the poise that he has, and, and wanting to seize this opportunity. But again, you know, another thing, like how, how long is the leash for some of these opportunities before they try something else or try to get better results? Last thing before I let you preview this series, I, I don't have a lot on this, but we would be remiss if we didn't at least mention this. I think we might get called out for not mentioning this. Um, okay. Nick Madrigal has been really bad, Brendan. Yeah. Um, I, you know, he, he has not experienced a BABIP this low since high A ball back in 2019. It's 240 right now, um, you know, which when you're a all contact guy, it's not great. But, um, you know, also striking out, um, you know, at a rate that that's higher than he's seen. He is also uh, currently a sub replacement level player, a 56 WRC plus a 210 average, which, you know, you and I are, are not big um, batting average guys, but like, that's kind of the thing he's supposed to be providing, right? And he is yeah. not providing that. So I, I, you know, like I said, we would be remiss not to mention it because it is clearly something when I look through um, social media and, and where people are directing their ire at this team, he's getting a fair bit of it. You know, we talked about it a lot coming into a this lot season <laughs> that a lot of people don't really didn't really like him in terms of his profile and stuff like that. And it felt pretty harsh for a guy that hadn't played for the Cubs yet. He's not doing himself any favors uh, with the way no. that he started. And I, I just want to read this stat from our guy, Ryan Herrera, who of course covers the Cubs for CHGO. Uh, his eighth inning strikeout in uh, Saturday's game gave him three strikeouts on the night. He had never struck out three times in a game in his major league career and actually had only struck out twice in a game three times before today. 
So not the type of mm-hmm. uh, record, you know, personal or otherwise, we would have been hoping for uh, from Nick to start this season. No. So with Nick, the numbers are terrible. And fans have every right to be frustrated with with his performance. His uh, weighted on base average right now is 242. His expected weighted on base average is 295. So there is there is a difference there, but even a 295 is is not it's not acceptable. That's replacement level. Uh, now there are some different trends that you can see in his profile that might be encouraging. For example, his hard hit percentage of 38 percent is almost twice that his career rate. So while he's not getting the full sum value in terms of expected weight on base average, some of the balls that he does hit, they're being hit pretty hard. And his expected batting average is 274. So it does align that he's getting some misfortune, but not that much to explain all of this lack of success. So he does need to make changes. I don't think it's as bad as the numbers look. Uh, I don't think it's quite good, though, either, if that makes sense. It's it's bad, but not as bad as we've seen. And I do think you have to have a little bit of, uh, of leeway with, with Nick here. He is a young guy. He doesn't have that much major league experience. He just came off of a torn hamstring, a shortened spring training. The medical staff could not even work with Magical because of the lockout. And we just approached the start of May. And with players like his profile who make tons of contact, remember, this is a guy who has a whiff rate that's better than 98% of the league. It could be a matter of time where he does kind of just figure it out a little bit and he's able to translate that bat-to-ball ability where you start going gap-to-gap more and getting those extra base hits. Because right now, like he deserves... More extra, he deserves more base hits. What he doesn't deserve is more extra base hits. And the th- the hope and thinking here is eventually that will translate. And I'm at this point, Corey. Like I understand the the frustration with Nick, but I'm not like really concerned about him. Like he's not at the forefront of my brain. Like I'm actually a little bit more hesitant <laughs> on Hendricks at this point because there is some uncertainty there at this point uh, than I am with with Magical. But I do understand why people are frustrated. Well, that sentence is going to send some people spinning. Um, well, I, but there's a degree. But here's the thing, though. It's like I, I, I'm not like super concerned about either. Player. I know, but. even you expressing that about Kyle I think people are going to take as oh Brendan's like unsure now sound the alarm you know well with I mean with Kyle it's not like it's hard to align expectations right because expectations with Kyle is not 2.0 ERA guy like like if that's your expectation for any pitcher, they're most of the time not going to live up to that. Those are Hall of Fame level numbers, dude. Like with Kyle, the expectation for me has been a 3.3, 3.5 ERA guy. And that's like top three, top two level rotation. That's your playoff starter every single year. And that's insanely valuable and worth every bit of penny, every every dollar they've been paying him. Uh, and again, he's getting the whiffs. So I think if you're going to bet, you can't use points bet to do this, but if you're going to bet, you have to bet on Kyle being good based on what you know. You just have to do that. And with Madrigal, you know, his expected batting average is 275. It's not that great, but it's not... <laughs> he doesn't deserve some of these outs. Um, but he needs to get better too, just as Kyle needs to get better, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I look, I, I don't know. I, I never really had a strong feeling on Nick, to be honest with you. I think he... 
you know, even at his best is a, a particular type of player that's fine. Um, I think, you know, historically, I'm not big on contact first, um, you know, whatever middle infielders, uh, that goes into some of the names we're not allowed to say on this podcast. That's on Don't your end, not my end. Yeah. No, it's, both um, ends. no, but this specifically what I'm talking about. Um, mm. but you know, I like, yeah, like I, I think, it's it's been disappointing because I think so far he's looked a lot like the player that people were very concerned he would be, right? Um, the, the inability to have any kind of power or slug in your game and making a lot of contact and too often of which is is you know not necessarily great contact and you know playing into that like yeah sure like and we've gone through this exercise before and not that he'll be the same but like you know we've we've gone through this exercise with someone like David Bodie a lot where it's like yeah cool the contact is hard and his expected numbers are great but it's not translating so great you know what I mean like if the games were played on a baseball savant stat cast uh, system, then he'd have better numbers, but they're not. They're played on the field, and it's, it you know, Babbitt's not there. So it's annoying, but yeah, I mean, like, overly, like, uh, yeah, I don't have a, a really strong opinion about it. I think even at his peak, he's a, a you know, a fine player that's a valuable producer um, somewhere in the lineup, but I never really had an expectation that he was coming over to be, like, I don't know, the, the future second baseman or some sort of star there. You're just hoping for well, I, obviously better production and, uh, you know, to start his Cubs career being sub-replacement levels, you know, obviously disappointing. It depends what your expectations are. Like, I think for White Sox fans, they drafted him number four overall in 2018. So I understand, like, for them, you know, um, it's kind of similar to the case with Almora, where we thought it was kind of an overreach at the time because he didn't have that power profile. But when the Cubs got him, you know, they traded Craig Kimbrell, they got back Cody Hoyer, and Kimbrell just like faded away, right? So the the relative risk for the Cubs perspective is much lower than that what the White Sox took. So I understand like, you know, some of the initial ill will based based on that, but even these expected numbers are not good, Corey. Like that for for magical, it's just they're not as bad as his actual numbers. If right. that if that makes yeah. sense, I don't know. It, this it, sometimes I still have to remind myself that it is early in the season. I know it's it's May, but this is such a this is a weird season too. It's just a weird season. You have different baseballs again. You got shortened spring training. You got this this unequal playing time going on you got new coaches it's, it's, it's weird it's just weird I don't know I feel like you have to be a little bit more patient but maybe that's just me being you know not accepting reality at this point but well whatever um all right so let me preview this upcoming series against the White Sox quick two game set it's going to be at Wrigley so we have an off day on Monday when you're listening to this on Tuesday uh night game unfortunately 6 40 p.m start time stupid start time but it is what it is uh we have no pitcher announced for the White Sox but we do have Drew Smiley announced for the Cubs Smiley this year is one and two a 2.79 ERA so I guess just wait if you're listening to this you know Monday later in the day check to see who was announced for the White Sox it might be announced in the morning and then on Wednesday, uh, same thing. No pitchers announced for the White Sox. Just keep tabs on that. Uh, Hendricks is back in the mounds. We put Hendricks towards the back of this episode just because he is pitching this upcoming series. It's a quick two-game set. So I think we'll get into more detail with Hendricks, maybe even Steele, if you know he's not pitching here. But we might see Keegan Thompson, so it might be a good little uh, discussion in uh, this midweek episode. Uh, so Kyle on the year is 1-2, 5.47 ERA. You guys knew that. Same start time, 6.40 p.m. Central. White Sox 
actually off to a worse start than the Cubs. They're eight and thirteen. Uh, Cubs are nine and thirteen. Uh, it's pretty fun. <laughs> I guess not fun. It's not the right way of putting it, but it's it's relatable seeing White Sox fans kind of panic uh, with expectations so high. It reminds me of, uh, you know, when the Cubs got off to that slow start a few years ago and eventually things did normalize a little bit, but it is, it's very unsettling seeing your team go off with this slow start. Uh, so that's what we have. I mean, I think in terms of what to look for, number one priority for me is Kyle Hendricks looking better. Number two priority is seeing Alfonso Rivas play. Uh, and number three priority is even if we, even if Rivas does play, like, I still want to see some opportunities by by Frank. I don't know how that's going to happen, but that's just kind of what I, what I want to see. Yeah, um, I, historically, I hate these games. Um, Why? Because I just I don't care about the crosstown rivalry. Um, the White Sox are the Cubs' problem at this point for four games a year, and if they happen to meet in the World Series, then it's my problem. But otherwise, I really don't care. I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of people who have your opinion, dude. I got so much smack talked to me by White Sox yeah, fans too. when I was a young kid. I don't like yes. them. Um, I'm not like. I mean, I'm, I'm not going really to lie. I do, I, succeed, but no, nah, man. Like, I hate the White Sox. I just Sox. think I'm these sorry, games man. get, it, you know, it turns into a thing where it's just like I. I always remember that clip of Javi Baez. Um, I think it was with Kelly Cruel back when they were on NBC Chicago. <laughs> oh, with, with the yeah, trophy. where they hand him the trophy and the camera <laughs> catches him looking around like, "What am I supposed to do with this? Like, I don't want this. <laughs> you know, like we're trying to win a World Series. Like, I don't care about this." Um, yeah. but like, dude, like, like when AJ Prasinski, you know, smacked Barrett. Like, I hated that. I hated that, that team. I did yeah, not like AJ Prasinski. What? Oh yeah, Barrett smacked Brzezinski. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm I'm saying like that. I grew up in that type of environment, so like I just don't like the White Sox. Sorry. Like maybe I hate them more than your average Cubs fan. Uh, yeah, maybe. Um, I do. Well, and like especially now, like I don't know if Cecil pitch in this series or what, but like you know, there's just so much like narrative and uh, yeah, like you know, Eloy's out, so he's not going to play in this one, so we don't have to deal with that. But yeah, I just I don't I don't like all that stuff, the relitigating of things. It's it's not for me. Well, you're doing it. You're doing it now on air. It's like well, the second sickness, time you've done it in Brendan. the past four weeks. Yeah. I have an yeah. illness so, yeah, you're in doing the way it, that you're I doing it to yourself. Like I yeah, you're all right. I think it's time for you to wrap yeah. up this episode. But. I mean, look, like you, you gotta, you know, you lost another series, right? Like, you know, obviously we're trying to hone in on some of the individual stuff because I think that's going to be predominantly what this season is about. Um, but this was a bad series in Milwaukee. You got your bell rung in these first two games um, and you didn't, you got a great performance from Stroman on Sunday, but offensively you didn't really do much on Sunday either. So You've lost a ton of series. You know, you're still going back to that um, that first series against the Brewers. Like, you know, you got to win a series, man. And and the White Sox are not playing well. Um, so this is also one of those times where, like, you know, you had the Braves win their first series of the year against the Cubs um, earlier. Like, I don't I don't want that again. Like, I don't want the White Sox turning things around at the Cubs' expense. Right? They've been bad. Like, they you know are playing bad against the Angels. Right? Like, so. Let's try and show up at home and, and have a better series here. Um, and yeah, you know, continuing to look at these lineups and who's getting playing time, who's performing, who's not, et cetera. Other thing to keep uh, note of, so the Cubs did trim their roster to 26. It's got to be down to 26 uh, come Monday. That's part of those like new rules that they're doing. But the Cubs are already there. Ethan Roberts hits the IL with some inflammation and Locke St. John already optioned back after, you know, the brief appearance this weekend. So for now that position group and and some of those maybe fringe guys who are wondering, you know, how long the leash is, 
they're safe for now, but something to keep in mind, like as teams cut these rosters, players may become available. There may be some movement, some guys that, you know, maybe jet or, you know, they try to scoop up things like that. So just keep an eye on that. Obviously, uh, the team over at CHGO will have you covered on that. Um, other than that, I think that's what we have for you. As always, we appreciate your support of everything going on at CHGO. Uh, the usual reminder, podcasts, live shows on every team, every day. Uh, just added some soccer coverage to the mix uh, with the Red Stars and the Fire over at CHGO. And don't forget to become a member at allchgo.com for your premium written content. You get a free shirt and access to the members-only Discord when you do so. We will talk to you after the Cubs and White Sox finish up their series. Don't forget to tune in to Luke, Cody, and Ryan as they uh, get you through the week there. They'll have the pregame and postgame and I think some crossover with the White Sox folks uh, during that series. And uh, thank you for listening. And as always, go Cubs.